Welcome to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Welcome to Building the Cooperative Learning podcast. This is Adam Rubicek. Once again, we are uh, continuing our interview with David Johnson. And uh, in this week, he's going to tell a story about kind of what Roger was up to in those early days of cooperative learning, how the two of them got together, and how they began to spread the message of cooperative learning to school districts. So uh, this is going to be entirely David in this episode. Aaron and I were, were there, we were listening, but um, this, is, uh, this is David spreading his wisdom. So I hope you enjoy. At the same time, Roger was building a reputation as one of the outstanding science teachers in America. Element, he taught elementary science. And he was asked to come to Harvard every summer to work with an ESS science program to develop inquiry learning to teach science. And this was funded out of the um, Eisenhower's concern about Sputnik and the fact that we were behind in the, in the space race. And he thought we really need to redo science education. So uh, with Jerome Bruner and uh, Suchman, a group of, of people interested in teaching science, uh, Roger developed this ESS science curriculum, which essentially was an experience-based science curriculum built on inquiry. And that is they would do things like put a group of students together around a table, dump a bunch of blocks on the table and then just say do something and then watch what the, the kids did and then gradually they would get more structured like maybe you should sort them into similar shapes maybe you should sort them into similar colors maybe you should sort them in the way they fit together and uh, but guide them through a set of inquiry situations some of which were absolutely fascinating to me. Uh, I don't know how the students reacted, but they would do things like they would show kids an inclined plane and say, here's a steel ball. Now, if I put the steel ball in the middle of this inclined plane, will it roll down or will it roll up? And why? Explain it. And then they would put the steel ball in the middle of the inclined plane and it rolls straight up to the top. And then they say, now explain that. And, um, and of course the explanation was, there's a very powerful magnet hidden at the top of the inclined plane. And the magnetic force was greater than the gravitational force. But it'd take kids a while to figure this out, you know, and it was, it was a wonderful, wonderful, learning uh, experience, studying these, uh, these supposedly uh, dilemmas. Well, if Roger and I would meet every once in a while. He would, every time he came to Boston every summer, he'd stop in New York where I was and would visit for a couple of days. And then when he's coming home from Boston, he'd stop and would visit for a couple of days. And I kept telling him, kids don't know how to work in groups. You have to train students to work in groups. You have to give them a structure. You have to teach them skills. You know, you have to 
helped them form. And his, the inquiry people never even considered this. They were into how to structure these intriguing problems. And so um, through a, uh, a series of flukes, both Roger and I ended up at the University of Minnesota in 1969. And then uh, uh, I kept saying, look, Roger, the kids don't know how to work in groups. And, um, and so we started cooperative learning between, I was teaching my uh, students in educational psychology about how to structure cooperative groups. But right, and then we transferred it over to uh, um, uh, science education. And Roger um, just had a knack, one of thinking up these, these intriguing lessons and two, demonstrating them to teachers. And he would spend most of his time um, out in classrooms with students that he had had in class saying, well, let's set up this situation. Let's set up that situation and uh, helping them imp implement it. And so uh, uh, actually he had a whole series of, of districts, some of sort of the leading edge districts in America. He had them all working on science inquiry. And so they all knew him. And they all liked him and res respected him. And as Adam can, or both of you can, can tell the people, Roger is a very likable guy. He's <laughs> he's an he's extrovert. Like, he's almost as likable as you, David. <laughs> no. Roger, we were direct opposites in many, many ways. Roger was an extrovert. I was an introvert. Roger had a natural gift of of making a situation funny, of just bringing, making people laugh in a situation. I was more of a slow thinker and the situation would be way past before I thought of something funny to, to say, <laughs> say about it. So uh, again, as all of you can say, what, what I did was then memorize jokes. And I would, <laughs> and I would tell jokes and Roger would make these flip remarks off the top of his head and everybody would laugh at Roger's flip for remarks not everybody laughed at my jokes <laughs> except there's more reasons for humor than just uh, just getting someone to laugh but um, but out of those two viewpoints inquiry science learning and the civil rights movement we created our cooperative learning uh, approach. Although at the same time, there are two guys at Johns Hopkins, David DeVries and Keith Edwards, who were, uh, who came up with creating games for students to play and putting, putting lessons in a game format, which required them to use uh, cooperative groups because most games take a team. And uh, or a pair or three, some something to to organize them uh, together, and um, and so we made contact with them 
and started doing seminars together at uh, the American Psychological Association convention every uh, year. And then we met the Sharans from Israel who then joined our uh, annual seminar. And eventually Elliot Aronson showed up with his jigsaw method. We kept building on to the academic side. But one aspect of what Roger and I did uh, came out of Columbia, my training at Columbia with Morton Deutsch. And that is, um, we, uh, according to Kurt Lewin, uh, who I got trained through Deutsch, who was one of Lewin's students, you needed a theory. You needed a conceptual framework from which to, uh, to work. And then you need to test this theory in the real world to see if it would, uh, if it would fly. And so we worked up saying, what is cooperative? What is cooperation? What is cooperative learning? And essentially we borrowed from Deutsch's uh, theory. One reason was he was my advisor at <laughs> Columbia. I didn't think it'd be too smart to work on somebody else's cooperative theory <laughs> when he controlled my whole future. And, um, but also his was the best. You know, he was a, a an exceptional theorist. He had things, he would see things very clearly. And there are other people working like Thielen, um, um, Hal Kelly at North Carolina, various other people. And then actually Skinner had a theory of group contingencies that was cooperation. But out of all their conceptualizations, Deutsch seemed by far the best. So that's, we took that as our theoretical base. And, uh, and out of that, we came that for a teacher to implement cooperative learning, they needed five basic elements. You know, one is a group goal, which is to learn, to learn the material, complete the assignment. Second, um, so that everyone understands it. Everyone's in agreement. Second one was face-to-face uh, -face interaction. Although with computers, we've had to modify that. But uh, back then it seemed important because that's where the personal conversations take place. You want kids in a group working together, they get to know each other, but things come up like they say, why are you late this morning? And, um, and kids say, no bus fare. You know, I, I had to walk and it's four miles. <laughs> so it took me a while, but I had, didn't, my, my mother didn't have bus fare for me. And, uh, and that would start conversations between the members of the group that, uh, that would build a personal relationship as well as, um, a professional one working on the material. And we would try to add to that or create it. One way was through what we call base groups. That is, we came up with with three to four types of cooperative activities. One was the basic cooperative lesson 
where students worked in a group. Second one was what we called informal cooperative learning, which was a quick conversation between um, a quick com conversation between two two members of a class about something the teacher had just said. And it was to be used with direct teaching, with lecturing, with uh, videos, films, you know, things that essentially place the students in a passive uh, position. And the informal cooperative learning then made sure they would be active and cognitively processing the material as it was being uh, presented. And then the, th the third one was the base group, which would meet at the beginning and end of every class period or the end of beginning end of every week. And the base group included things like what we called the base group grid, which we get kids to talk about personal material as well as <clears throat> academic material. And then later on, we added controversy. That is academic conflict, uh, because it, it was clear from the literature and clear from our experience that when kids argue and disagree, if, if they can do it on a friendly, respectful basis, uh, it's a very rich learning ex experience. And um, so those, the ways we would train teachers. And originally it was at least a two year process to do that. The training methods have changed considerably as uh, as education has changed, you know, since since that time. And so in the late 60s, early 70s, we could, 80s, we could tell students we want you uh, um, to take a 30-hour training course for two years. And, um, you know, year one and year two. And many districts would gladly do that. But later on, education keeps getting more complex. And so um, uh, it's, it's very hard to do that. And the end goal, which you guys are our best example of right now, the end goal was to have, is to turn the training over to the district and have the district have their own people doing the cooperative learning uh, training. And uh, so that would go on continuously, you know, maybe never, uh, uh, hopefully ne never end because um, uh, it is uh, complex to, uh, to, to implement. Again, here's a good stopping point. Next week, David's going to continue his story and, and start talking about just a little bit of when were the aha moments? When did he realize that uh, the, he and Roger were onto something? So we'll start there, but until then, let's cooperate. Thank you for listening to the Building the Cooperative Classroom podcast, the official podcast of the Johnson & Johnson Cooperative Learning Institute. Please check out the show notes for all relevant links, including a link to our Twitter account and the Cooperative Learning Institute webpage. This podcast is copyrighted under the Creative Commons license, copyright 2021. Theme music, courtesy of 
Jimmy Ryan. <laughs>